I think, you know, that's partly perhaps why I'm here, you know, I, I ended up taking a, a seminar with, with Professor Coppola on disarmament, which was one of my favorite courses there. Uh, and then I ended up taking a seminar on dispute settlement with Frieder. And it was, uh, he taught us the DSU before there were any cases. So we were going provision by provision. He was sort of explaining you know, the, the rationale of each provision, why it was negotiated, sort of what, what had been uh, behind each and, and the issues discussed by the negotiators. And this was in 1995, 96. That was Alan Janovich. I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. Thank you for joining us. The Rodolfo Rivas project has been growing a lot in the recent few months, in large part to people like you listening and spreading the word. I love having these conversations, and they are a treat on their own. But a growing audience not only validates my work, it also allows me to reach out to new guests. Subscribing, liking, reviewing, and or spreading the word really helps. Thank you. I met Alan during my time at the Appellate Body. He is now a partner at Aiken Gump in Geneva, but his journey started in Colombia. In our conversation, he talks about growing up in Colombia and attending Georgetown for his JD degree. He tells us about learning about trade and economic law, while also from time to time following some Hoyas games. He then worked for the Colombian Government Trade Bureau and then the General Secretariat of the Andean Community. This professional formative experience allowed him to get hands-on experience with different aspects of international economic law, which proved helpful when joining the WTO at the Appellate Body Secretariat. In our conversation, he talks also about the selection process and some of his work at the, for the WTO. After some years, he looked to more significant challenges and joined a law firm, where he has been working for several years. I hope you enjoy our insightful conversation as much as I did. Take a listen. Alan, uh, good afternoon. How are you? Hey, Rodolfo. It's good to see you. Yes, I, we've been planning on doing this for a while, but I'm glad we finally managed to, to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with COVID, things slowed down a bit. But yes, and actually I didn't want to press you, but then I was like, I, I should call Alan and ask him. <laughs> so I'm glad you... Here we are. <laughs> so Alan, I think I met you like maybe like 12 years ago at the WTO in the Appellate Body. That's right. Uh, at the Apple Body Secretariat, you, we worked together there. Yes, you were there already and I was just an intern, but uh, I still remember your office. You had like a big office <laughs> and you had like a, your desk at the end of the, the window. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the time there, but it was also a bit of nerve wracking for me because I was an intern and I was like on a temporary contract. I didn't know like how long it would be. So that maybe I didn't take full experience, the full experience of it, but I still enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah, it was. Um, the the uh, body was a wonderful place. I mean, I still it still sort of hurts me that <laughs> that it's no longer uh, operating. But uh, it was a wonderful place to work. It was a place where I learned a lot, made very very good friends, 
Uh, and, you know, my hope is that there will be a functioning appellate body soon. Yes. Uh, with some kind of legal support. I think I'm realistic that it's not going to be the same uh, as what it was back then. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the secretariat and the people who worked there were really committed to the WTO, took their jobs very, very seriously, uh, were devoted really to, to the system. Yeah. And it's a real shame what happened. Yeah. But before we, we talk a bit about that, let's talk a bit about like you. You were born in, in Colombia? I was born in Colombia, in Cali. In Cali? How was life growing up in Cali? Like going around in Cali was great. I mean, it was uh, it was a it's Colombia's third largest city. So I mean, it, it had the feel of a of a small town, even though it wasn't that small. I mean, Cali had uh, about a million and a half, one point eight million uh, people when when I was growing up. So it wasn't as small a city, but it had the the, the feeling of a of a of a small city, and uh, it was a great place. Uh, I think it was a good good time in, in Cali. Uh, the, economy, the economy was doing well. Uh, it was, uh, you know, we had lots of friends and family there. Uh, enjoyed my time. I have very good memories of it. And you you grew up there, or, or you? I grew up there, and my my mother still lives in Cali. So Cali still sort of my my uh, my birthplace. My uh, I used to go back quite frequently. I, I go less these days. Uh, but I grew up there and I went to school there. And I, I lived in Colombia until I was 18. Ah, okay. So, yeah, you lived your whole formative years there. Exactly. And you went to law school there or you directly to the... I, so, I from Cali, I went to the U.S. to study undergrad. And I ah, you went directly to the... Was that always the yeah. plan? Like, to so go to... The, the undergrad... Uh, Partly, yeah. I mean, I, I went to an American school in Cali. Uh, and so, you know, a good proportion of us would end up going to study in the U.S. I think by the time I graduated, about half the class went to the U.S. and half stayed in Colombia uh, to study. Is it the, the American school in Colombia? It was the American school in Cali uh, at the time. It was Colegio Bolívar. Okay. That is the name. Yeah, I also went to the American school, and that's like pretty much the experience. Like yeah. most of my friends went to some to other places, but to the U.S. Uh, in a big uh, way. And I always felt left out. But you managed to be one of the ones who who went to undergrad. Yeah, I managed to do it yeah, for good or bad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it was sort of I enjoyed the experience of of living elsewhere, of living abroad, uh, being by myself. Uh, was a rather, I think, uh, coddled experience in Cali, you know, going to school by myself. Uh, it took some adjustment at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed it, and then I stayed in Washington for law school, and I did my law school there. And how was, like, how, how was, like, was there a cultural shock? You were talking a bit about it, but was it a cultural shock? Like, living alone, but also, like, a different culture? Or you were pretty much, like, familiarized with American culture? I think I knew a lot about American culture, but, but it was still, I mean, there was still a lot for me to learn. Um, and, and living in the dorm was a good experience in that sense. You know, it, it was sort of living in the university dormitory was the best way to really sort of get to know people, uh, get to know people with very different backgrounds, yeah. uh, make very good friends. Um, 
and and that was helpful and took a while I think what was most difficult for me was rather that I had gone to the same school since I had I was four or five years old since nursery kindergarten it was one school and we were a very close-knit group and it changed little from one year to the next and so this was the first time in which I was sort of uh, changing, changing uh, my, 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 my colleagues, my, not my colleagues, my, my, my school friends. Um, I had essentially grown up with the same All of them, yeah. since I was very, very small. And we were a relatively small and, and very tight group. When I graduated, it was 32 of us only. 32, the, cl the, the class. 32, probably at least 20 started together from when we were, you know, four or five years old. I see. And uh, in, in Washington, you went to Georgetown, no, if I remember correctly. Um, when you were in the bachelor's degree, you, you knew you wanted to be a lawyer or that came later? So I had always considered sort of being a lawyer. And if I had stayed in Colombia, I probably would have done uh, a law degree as my undergrad. Since in Colombia, it's an undergrad degree. As well? Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't Colombia, know. it's an undergrad. And so I, th I, oh, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that if I had stayed, I, there was a good chance I would have chosen to do law. But I, I, at, the, at, the, at that time, I preferred to sort of the, the living abroad experience. I liked the idea of the U.S. system where you don't really specialize in anything. You sort of receive a broad liberal arts education. And I, I, I like that and I enjoy that part about Georgetown. Um, started sort of doing economics, but shifted more and more to government and international relations as, as sort of I advanced in my, in my studies. And so I, I had that, I had that sort of in the back of my mind. And then when I was graduating from undergrad, it was, I was tending to do um, a degree in, in either international relations or public policy. I was looking at sort of the, the, the schools that specialize in that. And suddenly sort of there was also the, the law option and it was perhaps a, 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 a riskier option because I, I'm not American. So yeah. I, I couldn't stay in the US and you know, it's hard. The law degrees are less transferable than other degrees. Um, but I still, made that choice um, to, to study law and, and to sort of try to focus on international law. Yeah, I guess that also makes sense. If you're going to do international law, that at least get translated mm -hmm. better than domestic law. Yeah, but, in, but in a U.S. law school, you only get to international law. You know, you, the Quite first lit. year is yeah. a very sort of domestic law curricular, although that is changing and that has changed significantly in Georgetown, for instance, where I believe there is more international law in the first year than there was when I when I studied. When I studied, there was nothing. And, and to be honest, I didn't enjoy my first year at all. <laughs> why why is that? First year. I don't know. It's sort of the U.S. law schools have this system, you know, of, that they like to impose the first year. Georgetown has changed it from what I understand. And it was sort of after I had joined, um, after I had graduated. But you... you I went from very small classes at the end of my undergrad seminar type of classes where it was maybe six of us, ten of us, 
lots of reading, kind of discussion in class, to classes that were a hundred or more. And it was sort of, you know, where you have to read a number of cases every, every, between each class and, you know, people would get called on in each class. You, I essentially got a fixed schedule that I didn't choose, yeah. which was very different to the end of undergrad where you were choosing, everything was elective. Um, I was sort of, you know, everything was new. It was a different campus. Um, I think I had partly chosen to go to law school and to go to, to, to Georgetown and stay in Georgetown, D.C. because I was enjoying my time there. And, you wanted to you extend know, it. Exactly, <laughs> I wanted to extend it, but, you know, law school was quite different. So first year was a struggle. I see. Uh, it got much better the second year, uh, but first year was certainly a struggle. Um, and did you go watch any basketball games, the Georgetown Hoyas? I did. We went <laughs> to see the Hoyas. We, we had season tickets, so the students who had sort of the students had a special season ticket pass, and they would take us in buses. It was far away at the time. Oh, okay. It was, the okay. Cops, it, was, it was outside of Washington in Maryland. It wasn't sort of the, the cool stadium that you have now in Washington, D.C., so I went a few times, especially first freshman year. It was sort of the thing to do. Yeah, and I mean, the Washington, the, the Hoyas are like a good good team. But this was probably after Patrick Ewing and Alonso Mourinho. No, no, Alonso was Alonso, there. you saw Alonso. Alonso was there, and so was the Kembe. So That's it was great. actually a pretty good team. And also Allen Iverson a bit later. Iverson was later. Yeah. That would have been fantastic. Yeah. Actually, when I was thinking about law school in the U.S., like that, yeah. because of that, I wanted to go to Georgetown. <laughs> yeah, so it was, I think it was, when, during my undergrad, they, they were still one of the top schools. That, but I don't think they won the championship. Anymore. They won with, with Ewing, but I think that later. It was before. Yeah, it was, it was before like that. or something like that. Against, I think he played with against Jordan or something. Yeah, I'm yeah. not that old. <laughs> Anyway, so, but it's interesting what you said about international law, because I also saw it when I, when I was in the U.S. It seems that in law school, the U.S. perspective of international law is not truly international. It's more like the perspective from the U.S., but not really international. I was in an international intellectual property class, and they only talked about WIPO, like, for an hour. Yeah. And then the other, the rest was talking about like judgments from the Supreme Court or interpreting like international law, which that is what they view as international law. Yeah, so I, I was lucky, I think, because um, I took, for instance, I took international law with a wonderful teacher. He was one of my favorites, David Koplow, and he, his area of expertise was actually disarmament, which was something completely sort of alien to me and you know not not something that I was particularly interested in being Colombian um, although disarmament also covers sort of small weapons and things like that but it was a fascinating class he, he was a wonderful teacher and I think he was an internationalist and had sort of you know brought to it a much more international perspective and then I also got lucky that I actually had Frieda Rossler teach me international trade law. So here, you know, was a European yeah. teaching at American school and teaching trade law there. And he had just retired from the GATT. So he was coming to teach and he had all these wonderful stories and anecdotes yeah. about uh, the WT and the GATT. And I think, you know, that's partly perhaps why I'm here. You know, I, I ended up taking a a seminar with, with Professor Coppola on disarmament, which was one of my favorite courses there. 
Uh, and then I ended up taking a seminar on dispute settlement with Frieder. And it was, uh, he taught us the DSU before there were any cases. So we were going provision by provision. He was sort of explaining the, the rationale of each provision, why it was negotiated, sort of what, what had been uh, behind each and, and the issues discussed by the negotiators. And this was in 1995, 96. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think at the time, maybe they had filed the gasoline case, but certainly I don't think the panel had. They didn't know how it worked, the DSU still. They were figuring out as they went. Yeah, well, Frieder knew how it worked. <laughs> he, he had, uh, you know, he, he, he was a key figure in, in its design, and he, he had been involved in the GATT, and a lot of the DSU comes from the GATT, so he, he knew very well how it worked. Perhaps he didn't know exactly how it would turn out, but, but it, was, it was a great class, huh? it was, and it was a great experience. So that was your first experience with trade, and like you said, like perhaps it like planted the seed that maybe you will do that eventually. Yeah, I think that that certainly was one of the one of the seeds and one of the things that that kept driving me to this area. The other one, which was earlier, was in a way I'm a child of the of I sort of grew up when when Colombia was moving from a closed regime to an open regime. And, you know, I can remember vividly sort of when the trade ministry was created, which was at the end, I think, of, of you know, when it was toward the end, I think, of my high school or very early university, somewhere around there. I think it was the end of high school. And the trade ministry was this new kind of modern technical institution and the apertura was this trendy thing. But, but you were aware of that, or like that was retrospectively your own? No, I think I was aware of it, and I think that also sort of influenced. It was an earlier influence. Yeah, because I actually, like, I think my experience is similar. In Mexico, we were also undergoing something similar, and there was always, like, this, like, friendly view of, like, a multilateral approach, international which not many countries maybe have, but like I grew with that, uh, with that approach. We had NAFTA yeah. afterwards. We, Colombia, wanted to join NAFTA. Colombia, that was sort of the reason for the G3. Colombia, that was supposed to be a stepping stone. That was a bit later, but, but all of, it was all this period when we had this shift, very dramatic shift from a very closed system where, you know, I remember we would have to sort of, you know, uh, I don't want to use the, the term, but we had to hide things in our baggage when we returned from the <laughs> States. Uh, or we couldn't get yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of U.S. chocolates. You had to go to, to special places to buy imported stuff. Yes. To suddenly, you know, everything was available. And, I mean, there was no scarcity. So, I mean, it wasn't... I'm not sure it was sort of like the, the Soviet regimes. <laughs> no, but I know exactly what you mean, like... Just because we, it was not available, like even like I remember toothpaste, like people would bring toothpaste from the U.S. Yeah. and it would be like, whoa, toothpaste from the U.S. And so I think that that was sort of an earlier influence. And then, you know, I just enjoyed the courses uh, in, 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 in Georgetown and, and, and that certainly helped. And then after, like, how, what, what happened after law school? You finished law school and then? 
So um, I ended up doing an internship at the, similar to you, at the Colombian government. It was called the Colombian Government Trade Bureau. Um, and it was the trade office of Colombia in Washington. And it was... It, it was, was for policy or more uh, uh, export promotion? It was more policy. So it was... We were physically separated from the embassy. We, we kind of fell under the ambassador's jurisdiction. But my boss, the director of the office, really reported to the Minister of Trade. And it was one of three offices that I think still report to the Ministry of Trade, the permanent mission here, the, the trade office in Brussels and Washington. And so okay. um, it was essentially in charge of the bilateral trade policy with the United, not in charge, but it was responsible for the bilateral trade policy with the U.S. And I did an internship there, and the internship uh, eventually became a, a, a short-term appointment. Um, and I think I, you know, I would likely have stayed. The reason I left was I met a girl from Peru. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason everything happened. <laughs> Ended up uh, wanting to move to Peru, and then there was a very happy coincidence of things that made it possible for me to move to Peru. Ah, so you from Washington, you, you went to Peru, and you were living yeah. there and working there. Yeah, so um, it was a very happy coincidence because I, the director of the office, so he, he, was, he managed to secure sort of a post for me that was you know, more than an internship. Um, it was difficult because these were diplomatic positions, I mean positions within a mission, so it's, it's not, uh, there's a certain rigidity within the, the Colombian system. Um, and he was, he was ending his term, and he was between staying, he was planning to stay in Washington himself um, at a law firm, but suddenly he... Um, He was offered the opportunity to go to Peru to be a deputy uh, director at the Andean Community Secretariat. Yeah, okay. And so... Um, so it worked out. It worked out. He, he got the position uh, at the Andean Community Secretariat. Uh, he then offered me a position there. And so I moved and worked under him in the Andean Community Secretariat for four years. Oh, okay. Um, he eventually went on to go back to D.C. Uh, and uh, where he worked at a law firm and then at the embassy uh, and then became ambassador to Canada. I sort of went, I ended up in the WTO myself and have been... So how, is that, how was the experience working like uh, with the Andean community? The Andean community was also fantastic. It was such an exciting time. I mean, it was, it, it was a time when the Andean community was, was really... It, it was right after they had kind of revived it. Mm. And um, it was trying to copy the European Commission. And um, it was working quite well. Um, we were, sorry, it was trying to copy the European Union and we were the equivalent of the Commission, yes. a small commission within, within the Secretariat. Um, it was really, really interesting because we covered sort of a lot of issues. So I was in the, in the legal department. And part of our job was litigation before the, the Andean Court of Justice. But also there was a pre-litigation phase, which is where the Secretariat would, would um, 
raise concerns with member states about measures that were inconsistent with Andean law. So there was sort of an administrative process first before the Secretariat, and the Secretariat determined whether a measure was was consistent or inconsistent. Uh -huh. If it was inconsistent and the, and the member didn't remove it, then the Secretariat would bring a case to the, to the Andean court. And the Secretariat actually brought the majority of cases itself. Members kind of depended on the Secretariat being the bad guy. So that was, that was a big part of our work. I, since I wasn't a, you have to be a, a, you have to have a law license from one of the five countries in order to do that. So I, I sort of helped, but I couldn't be kind of like the main litigator in front of the court. Um, but we, we did, um, we were also involved in, uh, in, in, in all of the other work of the, of the, of the Secretariat. And so I was very involved in, in, in the issues relating to the United States, given my previous experience. I was very involved in WTO issues. We were trying to, we were trying to help develop and promote uh, coordinated policies here in Geneva at the WTO. Uh, I was involved in issues relating to satellites. Uh, the Andean community wanted to launch its own satellite, and so I was involved in those discussions. Uh, we were trying to come up with a common foreign policy, common sort of policies. The, the anti-drug aspects that I sort I of had experience with. I was very involved in those uh, anti-dumping investigations. But like a little bit of everything. Yeah. And it was a very good group, uh, technically strong. Um, it was sort of a not large. Um, and at the time it was working well, you know, um, most of the things were working and, and there was still a lot of support from countries then you know the situation started to deteriorate a bit later um, and uh, so you know it was it was it, it's I have very good memories of, of the Andean community and, and the people there and it seems that the like the hands-on experience that you had like I can't imagine any other place where you would have been able to like do that like going from topic to topic and like actually doing the work there. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the advantages of working for a government, for instance. I mean, it can be your your national government, you're in a ministry, and especially if you're in one of the legal areas where you're assigned to different topics or you're in the admin community or a place like that, uh, small. Um, yeah, definitely. It's it's one of the it's one of the advantages of being in places like that that you really you really get stretched and we cover a lot of issues, we learn a lot of issues very quickly. And uh, how did you move from there to from the, there to WTO? Was it like that? So I mean, in the in the Andean community, I was quite happy there. But but the Andean community was it was meant to be a temporary position in the sense that we were we were ex expatriates there. So we you know we had a good package in that we we were. But, but I think at the time, the, the Secretary General considered that there should be some rotation, just like at an embassy, for instance. And, and there wasn't as much mobility either. So, you know, I, I knew that my time there would have to come to an end at some point. And, you know, the trade field is not an easy field uh, professionally. <laughs> um, but I got lucky and so, uh, 
I mean, it's one of these. But at that point, like you were not only doing trade, you were doing like a lot of things, but you wanted yeah. to do trade. Like, but mostly trade. So I was doing, I mean, most of the stuff I was doing was trade or very trade related. Yeah. Uh, we, we did some foreign policy work, but, you know, a lot of my involvement was because of the trade preferences uh, linked to the, to the Indian Trade Preferences Act at the time, for instance. Uh, and, and I think I wanted to do trade. I, uh, I wasn't thinking of going to, say, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or something like that. But um, as I told you, one of the areas that I was responsible for was the WTO. And so one thing we did was we were trying to help countries coordinate and coordinate more on their policies here. That wasn't very successful because <laughs> the, the ambassadors in Geneva didn't want to coordinate. But I, I've seen a change uh, lately, not, not in, the, well, in Latin America, like brother, like there's a lot of coordination going on in Latin America. Like, and that's something that happened like in the past couple of years. And, and they would say that, and so, I mean, this was a long time ago, so, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, but they would say, look, you know, we coordinate, and we coordinate within the, 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 the Grulag, and, you know, things here are different, it's not about the Andeans, we have the Grulag, and, you know, there's a lot of, we don't <laughs> understand how things are in Geneva, and Geneva works differently. But so that point, I mean, we were pushing and pushing and we were doing our best to try to convince them to be a bit more sort of coordinated, coordinated a bit mm. more among the Andeans. And it wasn't mutually exclusive. I mean, you could have a tight coordination between the Andeans and still coordinate within Grula. We, we weren't suggesting that they should, uh, they should abandon the Grula coordination. But one of the other things that we did and we, I think we became very good at was to work with the WTO Secretariat in organizing the technical cooperation activities for the Andean countries. And so we had decent facilities. Uh, I think we were very eager to support the WTO and the Secretariat in organizing the events. Um, we, we were, I think we could help in logistics, for instance, because we had sort of a travel agency and we were, we had a lot of experience bringing delegates to Lima okay. for Andean community uh, meetings and things like that. And so little by little, we started to do more and more WTO events in Geneva. And we were mostly just the, the venue, but would also get involved in, in helping organize and plan but we, we didn't really deliver. The, the, the people who delivered the courses the WTO. were the WTO sort of experts and some experts from, from capitals, for instance. But like that, I started to meet uh, officials from the WTO. Uh, I don't know if you remember Serafino Marquez. Yeah, yeah. He went uh, a few times. Uh, officials from the Inter-American Bank that were very supportive. Um, and in one of those visits, they, they asked me, you know, they, I think they realized that I was actually sort of, I, I was doing legal work as well and that this was kind of just something I did kind of in addition to the other stuff. And they asked me if I had ever had any interest in the WTO. And I said, well, yeah, I know, I love the WTO, but <laughs> I, I don't have any contacts there. I don't, I, I don't see how I could ever get in there. Assuming it, I was assuming it was sort of this, very bureaucratic uh, kind of institution where what mattered was influence and things like that. 
And they, they told me, no, 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 it's very different. It's actually, you know, there's this process and you have these, these uh, vacancy announcements and you, you know, people who are chosen have to do an interview, an exam, and you should consider it. I said, sure, you know, sounds interesting. I'll keep it in mind. And as it happened, the, the, uh, one of the persons who came was from Legal Affairs and shortly after there was an opening and he sent it to me and I think it was a position that wasn't a legal position and I said, you know what, next one. Uh, and then he sent me another one. And I got lucky that it was the time when the appellate body secretary was growing and so they were doing three, or they had three or four positions uh, at various levels and I applied. And to my surprise, I actually got invited for an interview. And this happened, you know, the W2 process is very, very slow. So I must have sent the, inter the, the application. Um, so I sent in the application and heard nothing, you know, other than the acknowledgement, heard nothing back for maybe four or five months. You forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really thinking about it that much. I told my wife, my wife didn't pay attention. She's like, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> And then suddenly, you know, I get a, a call saying, look, you know, we'd like you to come for an interview. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, I come. I have no idea how it is. Uh, I don't know anyone. Other than the, the people I met in these courses, I had no idea how it worked. I didn't know them well enough to really ask them sort of how, how it okay. worked and stuff. And so I did my best to study. Uh, I was very surprised that... At, the way they they did the interview and the and the test, how rigorous it was, how how much they were testing knowledge, as opposed to the typical questions you get in the interview. Uh, tell us about yourself and things like that. You know, suddenly I was being asked about WTO law in very very specific terms, and so I the interview it was, it was strange because it was you know a nice opportunity to come to Geneva but I didn't really know anyone here so I was locked in my hotel I think I came I, I I was smart and I think I came a day or two early and so I stayed in the hotel and studied I I think I had my lunch in the little store that they have in your building like that that is my recollection <laughs> I had it standing up a sandwich standing up um, I remember going in to do the exam and uh, I actually took the exam, if I remember correctly, in the office of the director of the Apollo Body Secretariat who had left. And so the office was empty and that's where I was assigned. I remember you get like three hours, you have a computer and it's timed. And I sort of did as best as I, I could. Then the interview, the interview was with Peter Van den Bosch, uh, Peter Morrison. Mark Kulan and one other person, I think from HR. Uh, and then that was sort of my, my Geneva kind of trip afterwards. Probably. Well, I think I went, I remember, I think I went to um, to the, the Café de Paris. Yeah. And just because it was the first restaurant I saw, and I remember in Café de Paris, I was so clueless. I I, I I kept asking for the menu. Please, please bring <laughs> yeah, yeah, the menu. I know, I know, I know. Like, and they showed me all, no, 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 the menu. They showed me a wall. And I finally understood that that was the only dish. So I did my exam. You know, I finished. I went home. And by then, like you, as usual, you don't hear anything for a while. So you didn't tell your wife, like you know, maybe we're gonna have to move to Geneva. 
she didn't she didn't <laughs> think it was likely. I mean, neither of us gave it a, a, a high chance. But how did you feel? Like you feel that you did like a good interview? You said like maybe I have a no, chance I or had no idea. You were like no. I really I don't think. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, and then I was. I was in, I, and I didn't know anyone here, so I, I had no way of, like, I had no insights or the insight, you know, I had no, no one to tell me, look, you know, they just finished the process, uh, it's been nothing, it yeah. was just, um, and then I was in, it was at the time of the free trade area of the America's negotiations, which is another great experience, and at the time the negotiations were in Panama. And I was there for one of the groups, I forget, I think I was helping in the anti-dumping group or in the subsidies group, one of the two. And I was in my hotel and the phone rang and it must have been like five or six in the morning. And it was from Geneva. And it was, first it was Judy Cowell from the, the body secretary. Yeah. And then Peter Van der Bosch told me that I had been selected. And I had to get there within a month, something like so. After after like the eight months or nine months that the process took, they wanted me there within a month, uh, and I was startled. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Excited, but you know, um, and and then uh, you know, my wife wasn't there, so we couldn't discuss it. I was waiting until I got and I got back. I was, I think I was flying back to Lima. And then sort of discuss it with her. She had a very good job in Lima, so it wasn't an automatic yes for her. I see. She she was working at, at the largest bank in Peru, and you know had a had a she she liked she liked working there very much. Um, so it wasn't an easy decision. I think you know the, it was interesting that we would live abroad again. I think she was very aware that my my the opportunities for me were limited and that I, I had to eventually leave the Indian Secretariat. Um, yeah, for you that's probably like the natural progression of your career. Like you were there and then the WTO where else where else can you Yeah, but I didn't think it was possible. I really honestly didn't think I always thought about it as one of these international organizations where I don't know, you know, you have to be the the son or the, the nephew of some someone important in Colombia who would then get you a position there and, and I wasn't. Yeah. Um, but fortunately the WTO wasn't like that either. Uh, so then you moved like, you moved first yourself and then your wife came later. Yeah, so I moved, uh, they, they were, Peter was, you know, pushing me to get here as quickly as possible. Um, and it was, it was funny because, you know, they take like nine months, almost a year, but then once you get the offer, it has to be now. You have to drop everything and just... And we had no clue about living here. You know, we started... This, started this was like around when? Around when? When did I move? Yeah, around like... 2001. 2001, yeah. And so we... we we knew very little, we started getting more information, things started becoming, you know, the WTO wasn't great at providing a lot of information. I think the WTO was very used to, or probably still is very used to um, recruiting former delegates. And People who are already familiar yeah, with, with Geneva and yeah. how it works, and then, you know, trying to understand the compensation was an issue, trying to understand how much we would get in a sort of a the rental subsidy, how much things cost, 
what we could bring, what we could not bring. Um, and then, you know, where we could live here and coming to, to find a place in Geneva was a nightmare. It still is. <laughs> and so and there wasn't much help, to be honest. I, I, it was strange. Um, I, maybe, again, I think I was, I was a bit spoiled because the Andean community was much better at that. Uh, and so the Andean community would, to begin with, you would be and people make fun of me because I was expecting someone to pick me up at the airport. It's just that, <laughs> like in the Andean community, you, were, I, you know, they, they made the effort, they picked you up at the airport. They, Take you for lunch. Yeah. For <laughs> no, but then they helped you find a place to live, stuff like that. I mean, it was a much smaller place, but, but also a different kind of, here it's kind of, look, you know, Here's some money, you can use it to find a place in the meantime. The money ends up being better than you expect, but at least I wasn't even aware of like the, the, the money that you get to, to sort of cover some of the initial expenses. Um, and then it goes very quickly in Geneva, you know, yeah. just, just in, in the hotel and in buying closets. I've never spent so much <laughs> money buying closets yes. because houses don't have closets. Yes. Um, but, you know, I think the, the first six months were tough, tougher more for my wife. Um, and then, you know, things start getting better. I think once you find a place to live, things start to improve. Yeah, now so, you're a bit more familiar with how things work here, which do take a while. But how was uh, the working, the work, like the work that you were doing? I mean, those are probably the, gold, the golden years of the, of the upland body. Yeah, the work, the work was great. I mean, it was, uh, so I arrived then, I was assigned first to, um, to the Section 211 case, the Havana Club case. And uh, it was fascinating. Uh, um, and then, uh, and, and most of the work that we did was really interesting. It was very collegial at the, at the Secretariat. Uh, Valerie was fantastic as, as, as a mentor. Uh, just learning, learning with Valerie was was uh, was pretty incredible, uh, and afterwards with Werner as well. Um, and um, that, that, cool. I mean, for the, the only times that were not cool is when we didn't have cases, which happened with yeah. some frequency. Yes. Uh, so it was this up and down, and you were in cases, and it was very intense, and then suddenly you were just waiting and waiting. And you couldn't do much because there was a case that could come, but then it didn't come, and then there was just a long wait. And th those were the the only times when I was really frustrated was when when we had these these spaces of time with with very little activity. Uh, Actually, I saw that because when I arrived, they were they were concluding one case, and they were still trying to figure out if they were going to get another case. And I did see like that. Uh, I didn't understand that at the time, but yeah, what you're saying completely tracks with with that um, but and also the other thing about the collegiality of the colleagues yeah that's something I really saw and something that I thought was really special that I haven't seen in many other places it's true I think uh, the, the, the kind of atmosphere and, and relationships we had at the time and uh, in the secretariat were pretty incredible uh, we, we spent a lot of time together but I think everyone respected each other a lot and, and everyone valued each other a lot and and uh, and we were good friends I mean we still are I mean some of my best friends are still people from the from the secretariat um, 
it was fun also i mean it was interesting it was the work was intellectually interesting yeah um i think we were all proud of what we were doing uh we thought it was uh, an important sort of role of the wto i think we we all knew that we weren't the decision makers that it was the apollo body members and uh, i think most of us had no difficulty with that um it's you know the, those who wanted to to have more of a direct say on things would tend to move on more quickly yeah because maybe they got like yeah. with the system not what they thought But then at one point like because I actually I left the upload body and then I remember then I moved to where I am now at the mission and I remember I saw you I started seeing you show up to these other meetings that had nothing to do with uh with like law like you would come in and listen I don't know if you remember this but you would come to other meetings and I was like ah look uh, was this because you were thinking of like uh, perhaps broadening your understanding of the of the WTO because at the upload body you see like one really small section and really specific yeah so i think i always wanted to do um i wanted to to do a bit more and started to i started to to hit a bit of a wall in that you know the apollo body was secretary was meant to be separate from the rest of the organization and we we weren't meant to be as involved in other things um both from a resource perspective but also to avoid any conflicts um but it, you know i i always especially when 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 the cases were slower was kind of eager to to learn about other areas of the wto that i knew less well uh or that you hadn't you know we 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 didn't choose the cases we were put on so in many ways you you sort of learned and deepened your knowledge depending on what cases you were signed on and you you had no no uh no influence on that uh, so i started looking for other things i i started especially when when things were slow to push to to be involved in other work of the wto so for instance at one point i was going to do a trade policy review a visit to japan And I th- I was sort of very excited because it was doing sort of doing the the trade work from a very different perspective. Um it was going to go to a, to a team of people that I liked. I had met them through through the technical operation uh, activities. And in the end I wasn't allowed to go and that frustrated me a lot and I wasn't allowed to go because there was a possibility that a case would come and the case would, you know, require more priority but the case never came. Um <laughs> And at some point I also started sort of looking to 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 maybe work in another division um at least temporarily and that too was made difficult at the time. And so all those things So that's why you were like frustration. I want to find something else. I think it's natural. I mean at some point you do I I was there for 12 years and yeah. there's a point where you you want to do something different and I think it's healthy to do something different. Um I had, you know, the role changed. I I had sort of become more senior, uh taken on more responsibility. But in many ways the each case was different. Uh substantially different in terms of the subject matter usually uh even cases that seemed uninteresting could have very interesting procedural issues um but the process 
has a lot of similarities and so you know each appeal has a lot of similarities in many ways in terms of the process and how you went about it and what kind of things you had to do and so I think it's natural to start sort of wanting to do something different and uh, I started to want it more and more uh, and it takes a while I think uh, um, it took a while and it, it sort of grew stronger and stronger in me until I started doing something about it uh, but it took a while and that's like when this when you made the decision like you thought you were gonna go to a law firm so the law firm was kind of always there as a possibility in that we I think for most of us who were lawyers within the WTO that's one of the options that we knew was out there uh, there aren't that many I mean it is a relatively small field and so uh, there have been people who have made the jump. Uh, there have been people from the Secretariat who had gone to law firms. And so it was something I think that I, I always thought, you know, would be, would be a possibility to explore. Um, I didn't know much about it because I, I had never worked in, a, in private practice before. But like you've dealt with, with governments, which I imagine that's like a big chunk of your clients. Mm -hmm. So you at least need new or what similarities, what, what of what you learned before do you think was useful to your position? In, in a law firm, yes. A lot, I mean, the substance, I mean, we, we are, you know, we, I think our, our, our clients hire us because of a certain level of expertise that we have in the subject matter and it's an expertise that, that I think many of us have acquired uh, having worked in the WTO Secretariat. It's not the only way to acquire it, so I mean, we don't have a monopoly. But, yeah. but certainly, I was doing WTO disputes on a daily basis. And so it's one of the better ways to, 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 to learn about WTO law and learn about the litigation process. Um, you also, yeah, you are working with governments. Um, you're seeing the issues that they are sort of dealing with. We, we didn't work as directly as other divisions with governments. There, there was more of a wall with the, the appellate body system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we, we did get... But I meant like before when you were in the Indian community. Yeah, with the Indian, certainly. Yeah, so for instance, on that, especially on that, when I was in... More when I was, I think, in, in the U.S., when I worked for the Colombian Government Trade Bureau, and we actually had a council in Washington and worked with, with uh, a U.S. law firm. Uh, and sort of I knew more of the more from that time about what kind of issues law firms uh, assist governments with. Um, but I it, it was it was in itself a learning experience. I mean, and I think that's why I enjoyed the change so much because every a lot of it was new. I mean, some of the work was was the same in that I was still dealing with WTO issues and doing the same kind of research. But the perspective of the government, of the client, is so different than the perspective of a secretariat official. Yeah. Um, you know, dealing with the clients directly, as opposed to what we did in the, in the appellate body secretariat. Um, the way you work at a law firm, uh, where you're subject to budgets, which you don't have at the appellate body There's a lot of differences, and I think I... That was quite attractive, I think, at the beginning, this change, just doing things different, even sending an email, you know, I think one of the things that, that I noticed is, you know, I noticed that I would 
review an email three or four or five times, even the simplest email, because I wasn't sure whether I had it right, you know, when at the WTO I kind of assumed everything I was doing was right, and, and that was, you know, I appreciated that. I appreciated sort of uh, knowing that, that I, I had to learn something to do, to do things differently, and it was more challenging as well. But, but you still think that that transition was a smooth transition for you? I guess, yeah, I mean, smooth. Uh, it was very fast. I didn't take any time off. Uh, I started immediately. The firm was very patient with me. I have to give credit to the firm. So the firm was very patient. I think for the firm, they, they really wanted me to help grow the practice. And so I had a year in which uh, to, to really build it up. Um, and I wasn't getting sort of, you know, expect, they weren't expecting results from me, you know, the week after, the month after. Uh, they knew it would be a gradual process. I had a lot of support from, from other partners in the trade practice. Um, and I think thanks to them, in large part, the transition was Yes, it wasn't. It was smoother than 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 I would have expected. Um, that's a pretty interesting journey. <laughs> now, like you told me about this, now I'm interested in hearing like what are your views on like the short, medium term of the WTO. Like, how do you see it going for the next few months? It's a good question. I don't know that we have as much clarity as we would like uh, yet. But I think it's going the right direction. It seems as though we are... I mean, there's certainly a, a, a different atmosphere, it seems. Yeah, that's uh, palpable, yeah. We have a new DG, and, and she is very dynamic, and, and I think that, that dynamism is helping. We have a U.S. administration that seems to put a different value on the WTO. We, we still need them to sort of you know, come forward a bit more on the issues that they want discussed and, and with concrete proposals, but but it's a certainly a very different sort of style, uh, and that's very helpful. I think there's a lot of eagerness among many delegations to, to move forward. Uh, I think the U.S. administration will hopefully find that other delegations are very, will be very receptive and will be very welcoming on, on sort of any proposals that the U.S. puts forward and very willing to work together with the U.S. in, in pushing those forward. Uh, I'm not sure they will necessarily agree with everything that the U.S. puts forward, but I think people are, are open yeah. to, mm -hmm. to sort of having a, you know, an open discussion and a, and a discussion among, among partners. Uh, my concern more is on... Um, countries like India and South Africa, uh, which seemed intent on obstructing the WTO. And for many, I think they benefited from the, from the obstructionism of the previous U.S. administration. It was very easy to hide behind them. It'll be harder for them to hide uh, going forward. Yes. Uh, but they still seem, they, they still, I, I don't see them with a positive agenda for the WTO. And so I do fear that the only way forward will be to somehow circumvent them. 
and I think delegations will have to be creative and find ways to circumvent them and to uh, find ways to, to reach plurilateral deals among as many countries as possible. Uh, find a way to incorporate that into the WTO regime uh, in a way that, that retains its legality. But I, I just don't see right now India or in South Africa being being uh, constructive. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate because I, I remember the the time before the previous U.S. administration where that was the, what was blocking, and we seem that we may, hopefully not, but we may go back to to those days, and perhaps they're even emboldened because of what happened in yeah. the, during the previous administration. I think that. What may have changed is there's probably much more willingness now among other countries to explore creative options yeah. uh, than there was before. And uh, I mean, I, I think that's, that's good in the sense that I think, I think a core group of members do not want paralysis and will be ambitious and will be more aggressive in terms of options to move forward. It is riskier because it does open the possibility that we will we will create a more fragmented regime. Yes. But I think that's going to be inevitable. Um, and then the, the big question is where will China be in this debate? Uh, hopefully it will continue to be among those who want, who want the regime to move forward and to advance. Uh, But it, it too will be put under more pressure because again, you know, we don't have the convenient excuse of the a very obstructionist US administration. If this US administration sort of shows its willingness to move forward, uh, which is what they seem to be interested in, uh, it'll be harder for others to to uh, to sit by uh, And it's true that there's a sense of optimism, but not only that, because I remember there was optimism at some points before, but there's the optimism plus like the actual, I, I feel like the actual need to do something that is felt across everywhere. So I think that, that that's perhaps the difference from before. Well, well uh, Alan. What do you think will happen? <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you because I, I think that there For example, with the vaccines issue, uh, like what the latest developments for me were unthinkable. I didn't think that it could ever happen. Uh, and I've seen some movement, which honestly, I, I thought the WTO is going to do whatever what the WTO always does and nothing is going to move. We still don't have anything that we can say like, okay, we have this result. But even just signa the signal of this that is changing, I think that this alone is going to probably pressure some to reach agreements and to move forward and to think more solution approach, solution-based approach than we did before. And hopefully that will, because if that happens, that I think can crystallize success and then bring like uh, in other areas as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, if, if, if we can get a successful outcome, for instance, on fisheries, It will send a very positive signal. But we need, I mean, my hope is that we get those successful outcomes, but we also sort of do not neglect the, you know, the typical trade issues, uh, subsidies, market access, uh, 
and we advance on some of the new ones like e-commerce. Yeah. Um, no, I think that that's necessary because those are things that we actually we saw during the pandemic. They have real implications, and it's something that the WTO is capable of tackling, and they have the mandate to do so. That's actually like. To conclude, and unless you want to say something, I think that right now it's one of the most interesting times to be dealing with these topics here in Geneva and pretty much everywhere. I agree. Then, thank you very much, Alan. It was great talking thank to you. you. It's good to see you. Huh? It's good to <laughs> chat. <laughs>